Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. Please uh, like, share, and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, and please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts across the Big Blue View Radio network as well. I'm joined today by Scouting Academy Director Dan Hatman, an old friend of the program, as we uh, continue to prepare for the 2023 NFL Draft. Dan, how are things? Things are good. Things are good. Thank you for having me. Oh, that's good. Happy to hear, by the way, that uh, that your youngest son is doing much better than he was uh, not that long ago. So uh, happy to hear that and, and happy to have you on the show. Thank you. All right. So so let's let's get uh, let's get into this. Uh you know, interesting draft for the New York Giants. And I'm curious, I mean, you you know, you worked in the Giants organization at one time and you know the history of how that organization thinks. Um a lot of the the measurables, the height requirements, all of those things that they may have depended on, you know, for certain positions. When you see what Joe Shane has done in the last year with this team, how do you see the thinking in the Giants organization maybe maybe beginning to change? I mean, they've they've made a lot of adjustments, not just in the last, you know, year or two, but even across the last you know, half a decade or more to things like the scouting department, to the, you know, areas around analytics, uh, certainly uh, changes in the coaching staff. Uh, obviously, some of them were more frequent than others for a period of time, but it looks <laughs> like they'll have a little stability uh, in, in there, which is a good thing. And in those areas, there are, I would say, fewer people left from the Ernie Accorsi days. Um, you know, George Young days like that mentality which was pervasive throughout there in terms of big guys beat up little guys you know the 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 parcels giants being what they were and obviously that lasted a long time uh again when ernie and jerry put together those super bowl winners right still a lot of those philosophies i remember you know when i walked into the building i believe the you know the Height and weight for a Mike Backer, a middle backer that we were looking for was around 6'3", 250. And uh, we don't find backers with that size anymore. Those guys are playing DN uh, at this point. So, you know, a lot of things have just shifted, the nature of the passing game and, and things getting more spread out and faster across the board. Um, and I think a lot of teams are having to adapt. You know, with Shane's build last year, using those first two picks in the trenches, I don't think they're – drastically far away from that standpoint in those areas, right? And you got to have a uh, good trench play. And you know, Ernie was, you, know, you need a, a quarterback, a left tackle, and as many pass rushers as you can find. And I think they're, they're still moving in some of those directions. It's interesting though, when you look at it, we talk about size and weight and all of that. They manipulated the board last year to get Wandale Robinson. 5'8", 185, guy with, 27 inch arms, you know, like zero percentile arms, two percent wing, two percentile wingspan. Um, does that tell you more about the Giants or more about the NFL? The way things I think are going about these the days? NFL. I mean, if you look across the board, almost everybody has somebody like that, 
in their running back or wide receiver room. You would like somebody that's going to challenge angles and challenge a defense to defend more than just static players and concepts, you know, having those wrinkles in there, having a guy that you can take and, and put into a backfield and put in motion and, and get those matchup against linebackers and safeties. Um, or if they do peel off corners or what have you to take a person like that, then hopefully leaving your, you know, your starting receiver core, so to speak, more available um, downfield against them, again, better matchups. And so you're seeing it everywhere. I think the, the wide receiver room, there, there's a longstanding late, you know, uh, comparison analogy, so to speak, to a basketball team. But I think we're getting more into that than before. Um, I don't think we're looking for as much redundancy at wide receiver. I think we're looking for versatile skill sets, different skill sets, um, obviously, there'll be some overlap in areas, but you would like guys to be able to do different things. You know, you're going to need people uh, that can work in the 18 plus areas downfield. You're going to need people that can work in the short areas, whether it be in the screen game and then creating on their own or just in kind of the short passing game and using yards after the catch. You need people that know how to eat up space and zones. You need people that know how to create their own space when those things are needed and you get man coverage. And so you're trying to build a lot of that. And so you have the Wandales and you go get a Waller and obviously the, the receiver room, I think they did a good job piecing together things last year um, and still have a lot of those around, but can go out into a draft market or into other markets and continue to add um, and have big bodies and little bodies and different skill sets. I think all of that's really helpful. Let's stay on wide receiver for just a second. That seems to be Still, what everybody wants to talk about with the Giants is wide receiver. And, you know, they may have put themselves in a position where it's not a desperate need. But I'm just curious, at 25, you know who the the early guys are at wide receiver. If there's a guy that you would really, really look at among those early guys at receiver that, that you think – that guy could really help the Giants or that guy would really fit with Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. Um, you know, is, is there one guy that, that you would really like? At 25, no. Um, not that there's not capable players there and players that could go to different organizations and produce, but I think you're not looking at um, a scheme agnostic class. I don't think you're looking at a class of – plug and play in every environment. Um, I think there's a viewpoint that I've always appreciated that some players exploit the space created by others. And I think there's a number of players in this class that are very, very capable and in some cases gifted in those areas where based on scheme, based on the other talent you have in the room, based on situations, there will be space created and man, they know how to take advantage and exploit that. And I differentiate that from those who go and create their own. And I think when you want to plug in somebody that exploits space, you should have those rooms, right? You, you can, you have a lot of other pieces put around. So um, I think right now the Giants are probably still another strong, capable receiver who can generate his own away from being able to maximize some of those other guys, because I think right now you can condense a little more against them. Uh, I think you know even they would like you to. Um, 
you know, I don't know where they're at in, in from their standpoint, but I, if I'm in their shoes, I'm, I'm exploring like a Hopkins out of Arizona because a piece like that in conjunction with the other things they have, then it keeps not just at 25, but in the second and third round, there's a variety of receivers that I think could come in and then complement and really, you know, flush out the whole room. But they don't have that, you know, what, what they don't have that, that one pure wide out, you know, we know what Waller is, but they don't, but what you're saying is they don't have that one wide out who basically can get his own. And dictate coverage elements, you know, the, the other team is going to have to spend time working to take that away and then allowing you, you know, a guy as smart as Kafka and, and, and Dave's are going to understand how a team is going to rotate to a strong receiver. And so as a team goes, let's say you have someone like a Hopkins, right? As a team goes to take that player away, which would be, you know, solid game planning by a defense, they're going to have the counter punch, right? And that's where you can start to use those other pieces and say, sure, take him away. Go ahead. We'll use these other pieces. If you spread out and try to cover everybody, then that guy's going to go get his, but you're kind of hamstrung either way as a defense, unless you can just get your rushers home to the quarterback. So I think they, I'm sure they're exploring the full market, you know, existing NFL players as well as the draft market. Um, I'm just not sure this draft class provides a lot of those, particularly at their draft slot. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned draft slot because the Giants had five and seven a year ago. And we give Joe Shane a lot of credit for for the way that he handled five and seven, for getting Evan Neal and for getting Kayvon Thibodeau. But I'm curious, you know, as you prepare for a draft and you're you're an NFL team and and you know that you've got 25, you've got to pick at the end of the of the first round instead of working in the top 10. Does that does that change the way that you approach the draft? Does it change the way you prepare for the draft? You know, I, I had somebody ask me the other day, so, well, I always want a game changer in the first round. And I said, well, you know, there's 24 teams that have a shot at a game changer before you do at 25. So you take what's there. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, how the preparation changes, what the thought process is, and, you know, when you're when you're at the top versus when you're near the end. So the hard part is that when you go to set out your board, you don't have 32 guys that you think fit whatever criteria you had established as a first rounder, right? So when you set out your grading scale, we're going to put a grade on for a player that we believe is a first rounder. There is a particular set of outcomes of production that you're expecting from that player. When you go into the process, yeah, we start with 18,000 college players, but by the time we get down to the last 125, there's usually not 32 guys who are going to fit that particular criteria. Right. I think. I think if I. I think I've had GMs say in the past. I know Jerry Reese used to say most NFL teams will usually agree that there's maybe 15 to 18 guys that are pure first round grades that every NFL team sees as a first round guy. So when you're sitting there at 25, you're going to have some players that, you know, they're your flavor of ice cream, right? And so you're going to have a couple of other names. And so maybe you get to 21, right? So if you're sitting there at 25, there is hope, right, that some other teams will take players that you had second round grades on 
ahead of you, thus pushing certain people down. But I think you have to prepare mentally that a first rounder may not come to you as you've graded them. And so you can explore the trade out options, which these days short of a quarterback falling, right? So if a, you know, if Will Levis for some reason starts sliding down or, you know, there's really good medicals and interviews on a Hendon hooker, you know, then that pick um, could become valuable for a team that wants to come up, secure their quarterback, secure the fifth year option on that quarterback. Um, and then again, you could look to go down and then, players that are going to have very similar grades on from 25 can be there and you know the fifth or tenth pick of the second round or whatever you do there plus you add again future picks usually in that case to the mix um but if no trade partner presents themselves and the board doesn't come your way you have to prepare mentally we'll take a player that we think can help us but chances are we are not taking someone that meets our quote-unquote first round definition which means we may not be adding that kind of game changer to the mix. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year, at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You mentioned the uh, the 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 fifth year option, and I'm just curious. You know, people ask me about the idea of trading down. You know, from 25. My my feeling on that is, in general, I always love the idea of trading down. For me, 25 is a tricky spot to trade down from, because for me, in this draft, I don't want to go beyond the Kansas City Chiefs, the last pick of the first round. I want to stay in that first round and get that fifth-year option. Um, just your thoughts on on the Giants in that spot on trading down and and whether you know trading out of the first round all the way is a mistake. Me personally, I'm a huge fan of the trade down. I think you have to pay attention to where the the tiers are and where some of those differentiation points are in the board. Um, but again, 25 is just outlined as a, is a particularly tricky spot 
from where I would sit on that. I would like to have a lot of shots in the top 100. Um, you know, to me, those are really valuable things. And because there's a discount applied to future picks, I'm not afraid to kick the can down the road, so to speak, from that standpoint. I think there's um, a mentality of, you know, we know what the board is right now. We've done all this work. We'd like to go, you know, walk away with pieces from this class because of how much work we've put into it. Um, But if you can get a surplus by getting out of there, you know, the positions with the fifth round, the fifth year option that, I think teams are starting to gravitate towards are the positions like quarterback, right? So one more year before the big contract running back, because now you can add a fifth year to them, get the extra out of them, potentially franchise in the year after that, and maybe have used all of their abilities right up in a relatively cheap manner. Uh, And then other positions that are, again, going to have a premium applied to them. I think having another year of cost control, over corners and receivers and DNs and what have you um, becomes one of the factors I think you bring into the mix when you're making those decisions against the trade partner coming up. Like the, I, I think what happens is a lot of people just say, Oh, just trade down, just trade down, just keep trading. Someone has to want to come up. Right. And they want to, they want to have to give you the surplus you're looking for in order to get out of that spot. If someone's going to give you pennies on the dollar, to move up, you know, adding another sixth round pick to me isn't worth getting out of those spots, right? But if I'm getting going down to the top of the second, adding, you know, whether it be a second rounder next year or a third rounder, or maybe there's some player on their roster that ends up being, you know, because players are undervalued relative to picks, especially draft weekend, you know, veteran players become very underrated uh, mm-hmm. in that standpoint. So, I think they, there's a very good chance they could piece something together, but I think you're going to have to have some slippage from a position like quarterback, which ultimately drives the market in so many ways. So basically, in terms of that fifth-year option, you're saying that that it depends on the position that that you're actually that you're actually drafting into, the, the, or the position that you're picking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious. Uh, we talk about the Giants and we talk about 25 and one of the positions everybody talks about with the Giants is the center position, you know, because of their need and they haven't had a, they haven't had a, a center for back-to-back years since Weston Richburg, which I think is the beginning of the 2017 season. Um, positional value wise, and the way that this draft shakes out is—is is that a position you would advocate the Giants drafting at twenty-five, or would you say, you know, wait until the end of day two, wait, in, or, you know, or or somewhere around there to to go and get a center? I know historically we've looked at tackle, particularly your blindside tackle, as being very much a premium. Uh, usually, tackles placed well above um, the other interior positions. And I've kind of seen decision makers go either way with other guards next or centers next centers, the hub of communication, but a guard's got to take these three techniques that are dynamic these days. And ultimately when you listen to people kind of fight over the value of the positions, these defensive coordinators don't line up in static fronts. 
and they don't just put their best rusher on your left tackle, right? In fact, most of the time, they're going to figure out whatever you're weakest at and attack that. So I'm not sure where along the line you can be comfortable being weak, right? What's Where's the spot where you're like, yep, I'd like to be weak there as long as I'm strong everywhere else. Um, there really isn't. So instead of the, the tackle guard center debate, I look at it and say, you need three good linemen, period. Like three locked in, no questions asked guys. Maybe they're not all blue chip, but like really strong players. Three studs, then, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You mm-hmm. need three guys. And then from there, you can get along with, a, you know, a veteran that's savvy. You know, they know what to do. Uh, you know, a younger athletic developmental player. You can kind of massage some of those other areas in from that standpoint. So, you know, with the Giants and you've got, obviously, Thomas has been playing really well. You hope Neil comes along. So there's hopefully two guys there. I know they've worked through a lot of players on the interior and got some competency out of it. I don't know if it, you know, if it has to be center, but I think having a third that you can lock in and feel like, you know, we're in good shape from that standpoint, that's a value, right? That's a value, mm-hmm. especially as you're trying to, you just paid the quarterback, right? We want this right. all to work. Um, right now, we just talked about the receiver room. You have a lot of players that are going to work under that 12 and 15 yards. So, yes, we can have quick game, but we can't have, you know, a colander here. We can't have a leaky offensive line that's going to take away those throwing windows and that timing because this is an offense that's going to need those things, right? We're going to need to be on schedule. We're going to need for, you know, these players to uncover in a certain way and for certain windows to be there. And you just can't have that. So I don't think you have to push it down to day two if the right guy's there at 25. Um, and whether that's guard or center, what have you. Mm-hmm. I think as long as you're working towards at least three, then you're right. in better shape. Right. And perhaps, I mean, if it's a guard, maybe, maybe you know, Ben Bredesen can, can slide over to center. Something like that. So yeah, you got to know what you have in your room in terms of versatility. I mean, the most smart offensive line coaches are practicing a lot of players in terms of snapping the ball, and you're trying to figure out, you know, if I had to move this around or what have you. And this is the time of year where, if you were going to do a positional change, you have OTAs, you have fall camp, what have you, to work that through. Um, obviously, it'd be nice if you had a player that you take in a position like that that maybe has some experience snapping the ball. Maybe you see him as a guard, but they have some experience at center, what have you. You know, right now for their build, positional versatility in the interior line, I think, would be a real strong you know feather in a player's cap. Yeah, absolutely, somebody that could play both spots in you know both spots on the interior at the very least. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned. Ernie Corsi a while ago and talking about, you know, quarterback, um, you know, pass rusher, left tackle, those types of things. Um, we know that Joe has talked a lot about the run defense and a lot about uh, adding depth to that defensive line. He spent a lot of time talking about that this offseason. Would it, would it make sense to you, you know, for the Giants – early in the draft to to be going after defensive line you know as just as a as a as a different kind of a thought away from you know wide receiver offensive line yeah absolutely you know i think looking at d line um looking at db 
right? Uh, I, I don't mm-hmm. think any of those should be easily dismissed at those spots because there are a lot of good players through your top 75, top 100, I mean, guys that can come and contribute. Again, difference maker. I think that label gets thrown around a little bit too casually. Most players are not difference makers throughout the top 100, but obviously having a lot of good players is beneficial. So I don't think they have to force a wide receiver at 25. Um, you know, we're looking at the offense final, or you know, league offense around the league finally coming around to we have small defenses who are trained on how to cover the pass. They're trained on it through their youth game. They're trained on it through the college game. They're seeing it in the NFL. So teams are bringing back power run. Mm-hmm. It's coming, right? And we're right. leaning into that. If you watch San Francisco and everybody thinks about Shanahan with the outside zone stuff, they've got a lot of beef up front. All of a sudden, they're running a lot more down people's throats because the smart play callers are recognizing, you want to go small and stop me? Okay, then I'll go big and run right through it. And so now we're seeing teams have to value, you know, the nose tackle and the, the strong run defenders at a little different level. Uh, because if you're going to keep the linebackers who are running chase and cover, then you got to protect them. And so, yeah, I think because there are fewer linebackers who can do all the different parts of their job at a really high level, right? Usually your linebacker is going to be more of a specialist than a generalist, unfortunately, just based on the market continuing to add to the defensive line supports both your linebackers and your DBs in a lot of ways. Anyone in particular, when you think about defensive linemen, anybody in particular that, that you really like who might be, let's say day one, late day one, or, or even day two for the giants, anybody that, that, that jumps out at you. It'll be interesting to see how it falls. Cause there's so many edge players in this class um, the number of guys that get discussed, you know, if you leave the the Anderson and Wilsons that seemingly are going to be top tens, but then you're into the the Nolan Smiths and the Ojolaris and the McDonald's and the Van Ness kid from Iowa, right? And it just keeps going from there. And then you've got the the Clemson D tackle, uh, the Pittsburgh D tackle, the Michigan D tackle, right? And it just keeps going on that side too. And obviously, other players that can sneak up, um, you know. Uh, I don't think a the Pittsburgh D tackle necessarily make it to 25, but I think he's a very interesting player, especially for as aggressive as you know Wink likes to be. You know, that kid, whether it be penetrating a gap or moving around, or if you want to bring some blitzes and he's got to go do other things, like that kid is a lot of fun to watch. I think that again, the Michigan D tackle Smith there, he's a really athletic guy, very powerful guy, can fill up. Uh, now you have Leonard and Dexter and what have you, so I, I'm not sure they necessarily want to lean into a D tackle. Maybe continue to add on the edge, and again, maybe it's more like uh, you know the Ojolaris of the world or the Will McDonald from Iowa State types. But it'll be interesting to see how the board falls because I think those positions bring a lot more firepower to 25 than maybe receiver does from this particular class. In other words, you'd be getting more the top of the more the top of the market at those positions. I think there's a better probability that you're going to get a, a better player at D-line than receiver, you know, again, assuming the board falls based on what the current public discourse is. Okay. All right. Um I have to ask you 
to put on your general manager cap and think about the future for Saquon Barkley and the Giants a little bit. You know, we know where Barkley is with the Giants right now on the franchise tag, which he hasn't signed. We know that, you know, reportedly he turned down $12.5 million annual average value. Joe said the other day that right now there's no offer on the table. There's no negotiations going on. Best guess for you, is this the last year that Saquon Barkley's a giant, or do you think they'll come to a deal and if they do, is it going to be thirteen or fourteen million dollars, or is Barkley just going to have to adjust and and take a lower value? Unbelievably hard questions, right? When you have such a fantastic player uh, who's fought back through the injuries and you know really regained a lot of the form that that brought him the notoriety in the first place. Uh, it's someone who you, you can run a lot of offensive things through. And then when you're trying to spread out the money, and yes, the cap is going up, but we're also seeing the contracts, right, as a percentage of the cap continuing to grow and match, right? That's where the agents are at saying, okay, well, yeah, this deal was X percentage of the cap. Now that the cap's gone up, X percentage of the cap moves here. And from an agency perspective, I think it makes a ton of sense in terms of what they're bringing to the negotiation table. Mm -hmm. Um but that doesn't mean that just because the cap's going up $25 million, that magically there's $25 million that we can just spend willy-nilly, right? Those dollars right. get eaten up quickly from that standpoint. So unfortunately, just with the nature of their build, um, unless a number of things kind of fall into place quickly, I have a hard time imagining that they're going to come together on this because – Somebody else a little more advanced and where their team build is at could look at that and say, you know, like a 49ers last year with McCaffrey, you know, mm-hmm. this could be the last piece to get us over the hump. Uh, that was a mentality I imagine that they had uh, before they made that deal. Somebody else could come in and say, yeah, this is the kind of piece that can change the game for us. But much like when he was drafted, you know, there were some other things that needed to come together. There was a lot of offensive line needs at that time. It, I don't think anybody's ever had a bad thing to say about Saquon the person or Saquon the player. Like I think we all respect the heck out of him in all the fronts. And Mm -hmm. it just comes down to where is this team at and all the things that it needs. Mm -hmm. And there are other positions that are premium positions in terms of the resources needed to acquire them that are needed on the roster. And running back of his caliber ends up being more of a luxury than a cornerstone. Yeah, I think I always said, you know, I finally the other day in a piece that I did, I came out and and directly said that taking him at number two back when they did was a mistake. And it had nothing to do with the player, nothing to do with the quality of the player, nothing to do with the quality of the young man, nothing to do with the numbers he's put up. But the fact of the matter was there was so much else to do and still so much else, so much more to do that, that the giants were never going to be able to maximize what Saquon Barkley could do by trying to start a rebuild with him rather than finish a rebuild with a running back. And I think that's why I looked at it as a mistake because they were never going to get out of Saquon Barkley, what they, the, the full value. 
It was and, tough. And I'm, yeah. I, what I'm what I'm curious about also talking running back, I tend to think that Saquon's future, or we may learn something about Saquon's future by how early the Giants dip into the running back market in this draft. I don't know if you if you agree with that. I I don't know if it's gonna be the full indication of it, but yeah, I mean the, the draft capital you put in um, you know, I, I I think we'd all like to say that we're going to let all the players compete. We're like the best person, take the job and things of that nature. Um, I think, unfortunately, our us being human and the, 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 mm-hmm. the CYA that comes from that, uh, you'd like to push your draft capital into positions to actually play because when they're not playing, it mm-hmm. doesn't look good. So yep. I, I do think it would give some indication, um, again, maybe not in a full capacity, and I think it depends a touch also on what style of running back. Like if you decided to bring in, you know, again, for lack of a better name, a Charbonnet from UCLA, who's a tough to tackle, big kid, what have you, but it's not a replacement from the things Barkley does in other areas, then maybe not, you know, maybe that's not a strong right. indicator, but if you're, um, you know, you get more of a Gibbs type that could do some more of those things, then, then maybe it is. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting. The last thing I've got for you is, you know, the Giants, Joe Shane, Brian Dable went into last year saying, well, we're not setting any expectations. We're going to make it as good as we can. Then they go nine and seven. Then they wind and they make the playoffs and they wind up doing something that Joe admitted to me a month or so ago that he didn't think he was going to be doing, which is signing Daniel Jones to a long-term contract. Um, how much does the year that the Giants had just change the whole philosophy, just change the build? How much does it change the way that, that they approach everything? How can it not, right? Right. Um, if they went – four and 12 or four and 13 or what have you win four or five games. We're not having this conversation, right? And they win four or five games. They're probably not signing Daniel Jones. And ultimately team building. It's not about some four year plan that you perfectly execute because every year is going to throw wrenches into that plan. So to me, team building is adaptability. It is adjusting to new information and being able to find that surplus, find that additional value in situations, even if they were unexpected situations. So yeah, I I doubt this was the mentality they walked in with, but they do win those games and he does play well and they do sign him. And so here we are. And now the build's moving from this point as opposed to whatever other point they could have envisioned at that time. And the fan base went from no expectations to strong expectations, right? I mean, right. Giants fans are sitting around going, oh, all right, we're probably going to have another couple bad years before you finally, like, they won a lot of ball games. So mm-hmm. do they win more ball games this year? Hard to say, right? But I think it's going to be expected that they're, 
competing for a playoff spot again, which is a drastic it's be a, it, position. It's, I don't it's going to be they, a lot harder. To, it's going to be a lot harder to swallow if they win six games. Yeah, I don't think when they signed those contracts, they were expecting to be on a in a playoff push year two. Right. right. If we get there, we get there. But I don't think they expected that to be the expectation, and it is now. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's two ways to go about that. Do you work with your owner to continue to manage expectations and to explain like, you know, we talked about where we're at and yeah, we're a little bit accelerated, but you know, maybe we talked more about year three and year four. So let's not, you know, get ahead of that. Or, you know, and I don't find ownership there to be uh, off the, off the cuff, off the hip, so to speak very often, but are they, putting pressure on for, we need to go now. Like what you hear about down the road with the jets, we're going to make this Aaron Rodgers move. We got to go now. Like there's, there's a lot more pressure Mm -hmm. on them from Mm -hmm. that standpoint. If they're getting that kind of pressure, they're the ones that sign the checks. We're going to do what we're told to do. Or is it, you know, we talked about this. Yes. We're a little bit accelerated. Yes. We're making some adjustments, but you know, let's just manage expectations here. All right. Well, it's always interesting, and we shall see what happens here in a couple of weeks. Dan, I always appreciate uh, getting a chance to talk to you. It's been a while since you and I chatted. Oh, I'm happy to be here. It was good to spend some time. All right. Hey, so thank you, as always. Uh, Why don't you let folks know uh, what's going on at the Scouting Academy and and how they can sign up if they want to do that. Yeah, so we're we're still running online classes and, and evaluation philosophy and and uh, how to work in the college game, how to work in the pro game, what have you. Um, we're running our summer class. It starts here in about a month, May 8th. You can look us up on scoutingacademy.com, and you can email me at director at scoutingacademy.com if you have any questions. All right. Thank you, Dan, and thank you for listening, Giants fans. Please uh, stay safe out there, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.